On this episode of Blue 58, defensive back is a sneaky, yet obvious, yet nebulous need on the 2019 Green Bay Packers. So how do you begin to nail down what the Packers should do? We take a crack at it, then dive into that article everybody's talking about. You know the one. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here to talk defensive backs. I'm enjoying our pre-draft preview series, and I hope you are as well. This one is a challenging one, though not in the ways that offensive line was challenging. Talked about that one being difficult because of um, just being hard to nail down exactly what offensive linemen do. Like, we know what they do, but on a play-to-play basis, sometimes it can be hard to tell who's responsible for exactly what, what they were supposed to be doing, what the scheme was, stuff like that. And there are so many different factors that go into that. Defensive back is a little bit like that, but it's also completely different because I think if you look at offensive linemen, generally speaking, offensive linemen are pretty similar. You know, there's taller big ones and shorter big ones and guys that are big in different ways than other guys, but they're generally the kind of workhorses of the professional football world. Big, strong guys that kind of look like a team of draft horses together, just the big animals. Say animals in a loving way. Offensive linemen are great. Defensive back amplifies all those differences. You can have, I mean, just look at the Packers. You've got guys like Kevin King, six foot three, runs like a gazelle. You've got Jack Russell Terrier, Jair Alexander. You've got wiry, long, but still short ish, Tremont Williams. It goes on and gone. And all of those different body types lend themselves to different playing styles. And those playing styles have to be complementary, but they also overlap a little bit. And the Packers are in the unique situation of both having an established defensive backfield while also needing a little bit more, and also being in the position where losing just one guy could bring the whole thing kind of crashing down. Just look at cornerback, for instance. On paper, they're pretty set there. You've got your top three guys, Kevin King, Jair Alexander, and Josh Jackson. And then Tony Brown is coming off the bench. You've also got Tremont Williams kicking around a little bit there, probably playing a little bit of corner, a little bit of safety, stuff like that. But if one of those top three guys goes down, King or Alexander or Jackson, suddenly you're real thin. And you get thinner if it turns out that maybe corner isn't where Josh Jackson should be playing. So the Packers have a need here, but not a super screaming obvious need, but a need nonetheless, and they've got to address it somehow. So what do the Packers need? Let's look at safety first. This kind of comes down to what kind of safety they need. And although it's more complex than here, I think you break it down into two types. You've got your traditional free safety, ball hawk center fielder type, And the strong safety, the box safety type, the guy who plays closer to the line of scrimmage. The thinking seems to be that Adrian Amos is more of the strong safety or box safety type. He does play deep. He played deep a lot. Uh, He played more snaps deep last year than Eddie Jackson, the other notable safety in Chicago. 
but I don't think it's unreasonable to say he's more of the strong safety type just because of how he plays. Physical, strong against the run, things like that. And this is where the interest in guys like Earl Thomas, and Earl Thomas in particular, makes sense. You need, whether you need him a little or a lot, you need that deep center fielder type. Even if Adrian Amos can play deep, that doesn't appear to be what he's best at. And even if the Packers made a lot of moves this offseason that improved the overall defense, they still kind of need that diversification of skill sets. That's true in the defensive backfield, especially in the safety group, and true of the defense as a whole. On a semi-related point, that's why I still think they need edge rushers and wouldn't be surprised if they took one early. It's also why they need a safety with a different set of skills than what they have right now. Cornerback is a little bit tougher because it's less about what kind of corner you have and more about where he's going to play. I don't think the kinds of corner, quote unquote, are as different as the kinds of safety because corners can get moved around a lot more. And although you do have guys who play more on the outside and other guys who play more on the inside, more slot corner types, I think they're more interchangeable than the safety types. You kind of have to know what they have before you can determine what they need. Kevin King is more of an outside guy, it seems like. Jair Alexander, outside but can play inside, or maybe inside but can play outside. The most versatile Packers corner, probably. Josh Jackson, you're not quite sure yet. He may actually be a safety, but I think it's still too early to make the switch. And Tony Brown kind of seems like an outside guy, but we have to remember he only played 287 snaps in 2018, just under 18 snaps per game. That's borderline having an actual role type snaps, but I'm not sure he's quite there yet. So where does that leave you? Do you need an outside guy or an inside guy? I think probably it's an outside type guy, a guy who can play on the outside more than a guy who's going to play more on the inside, but I'm not really sold on that, and I'm not sure. You might just want to take the best corner you can get and try to figure it out from there. Finally, we've got the question of size. Size has been an issue for the Packers at corner for a long time. Ron Wolf was famously hung up on having corners of a particular side, particularly in the wake of Terrell Buckley and the way that worked out in Green Bay. Does size matter at all? Well, maybe no, but also probably yes. The Packers did prove last year that they can go against their typical type at corner and still get a good player. But those guidelines, I think, are also there for a reason. Ron Wolf wasn't just making that up. Because size gives you a lot of leeway. In basketball, you say you can't teach height. And that is a terrible cliche, but it has more than a little bit of truth to it. Physical attributes are something you have or you don't. Jair Alexander is never going to be taller than he is right now. That It's just too bad. That's just how it is. It'd be great if he was 6'1", but he's 5'10", maybe. And all other things being equal... I think you'd prefer to have the bigger guy. If all the testing numbers are the same and the skill set is the same, you take the six-foot-tall guy over the five-foot-ten guy. Even last year, people were acting a little bit like that was some kind of weird take, some sort of galaxy-brained idea. But I don't think it is. It's just kind of obvious. If you can get the bigger, stronger guy, take the bigger, stronger guy. You got more leeway there, and it covers up a lot of stuff. 
So let's talk about a few defensive backs. As we've done with every position group so far, we're going to talk about five different guys. The best fit, the worst fit, a sleeper candidate, a small school guy, and a kind of wild card player. Right off the bat, we're going to change things up a little bit. There is no worst fit in this draft. And at corner, I'm not entirely sure there is a best fit. Just reading what I've read today in the last couple days, the months leading up to the draft even, this kind of seems like a not super outstanding defensive back draft, corners in particular. Every guy I read about seems to either be crazy athletic but can't play or so unathletic that he doesn't meet the Packers minimums and he's not worth considering anyway. Because even though those minimums should be a little bit more malleable than they've been in Green Bay, they are a pretty good guideline of who can play at an NFL level. Greedy Williams is a good example of the entire conundrum with defensive backs in this draft. He is Dane Brugler's number one corner in the draft, the highest rated corner in his top 100 NFL players. I'm just going to read what he said about Greedy Williams of LSU and let you decide if that sounds like the sort of player you'd be talking about, be excited about, is the top corner coming off the board in the NFL. Here's the report. Quote, a long, lean corner, Williams was rarely out of position in college with the length and sink and flow athleticism to mirror receivers' movements. With competitive and, while competitive and tough on some tapes, he appeared to shut things down later in the season, and his struggles shedding blocks or consistently finishing in the run game were a season-long issue. Overall, Williams lacks ideal bulk and play strength for the next level, but his athleticism and length allow him to blanket receivers in man coverage, projecting as a high upside NFL cornerback if his play personality is consistently competitive. So in short, a good enough athlete, inconsistent, and may not give you the kind of effort all the time that you want. That seems more like a guy who's going to go late in the first round or early in the second round than the sort of defensive backs we were talking about last year, where you could get one or two cornerbacks in the first half of the draft. That's a tough spot for the Packers to be in if they're looking at corner early. So at corner, I'm not sure there is a best fit. Maybe the worst fit, in fact, is the entire cornerback class. It's hard to find a slam dunk layup out there. And before I go any further, I should mention, we're not going to talk about 10 players in this class. The five are going to be split between corner and safety. That brings us to our best overall fit here, Amani Hooker of Iowa. I liken him for reasons that should be pretty obvious as we go through this, to Micah Hyde taken to a maximum level. Like Micah Hyde, he can do a little bit of everything. And like Micah Hyde taken to the next level, he has both good size and very good athleticism. But the thing that comes up again and again with Imani Hooker is versatility. I like the V word, as you know. I think that maximizes your roster if you've got guys who can do more than one thing. And Lance Zerline describes him as a very versatile player. He's what he says at NFL.com. Quote, hybrid safety with advanced feel for play design and recognition of where the ball is going and how to play it. He could thrive in a robber role or as a big nickel where he can match up in pass catching with pass catching tight ends. End quote. Dane Brugler is a little bit cooler on him, says he doesn't necessarily play up to his testing numbers, but he's versatile. However, he also adds that he may be more of that box safety, even outside linebacker type, 
in his own scheme. So that brings you to the big question. Even if he is the best fit for the Packers, is he more of that strong safety or a free safety? I think it's hard to say. I think you get different opinions depending on who you ask. To me, though, it just seems like he's a good football player. And he's good enough that maybe you take him at 44 or maybe even 30 and just try to figure it out. I know I opened up this entire thing by talking about how you need to diversify skill sets. So take that with a grain of salt because it does seem like there's some overlap there with Adrian Amos. But maybe you just get as many good football players as you can and try to get them on the field together, whatever role that may be. He does have great respect for the defensive backs from Iowa that have come before him. And he stays in pretty pretty regular communication with them as well. Consider this section of an article from the Gazette out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Quote, since 2013, the Hawkeyes have put Micah Hyde, Desmond King, and Josh Jackson into the NFL. Hyde has been in the Pro Bowl. King was named All-Pro last season. Jackson was a rookie with the Packers. It's starting to become quite a network. Hooker says, I have a good relationship with Des. I hit him up every once in a while. Before I came out, I asked if he had any advice for me. He said, be yourself, be honest, and ball out. Hooker also looped in Jackson. He says, they're like my mentors. Whenever I text or call them, they answer, they give me their feedback. I've also been talking to Michael Hyde, too. He's been my mentor as well, end quote. So at the very least, he hangs around with some good people. And I don't know what they're doing at Iowa there, but they seem to be uncovering some pretty good defensive backs. Maybe the Packers have struggled to figure out how to use a couple of those guys as it's worked out. But things are a little bit different now. So maybe this is the one where they finally get it right. He seems to be a guy the Packers could really get a lot out of. And I think he'd be an interesting selection. Moving on to our sleeper, I'd like to direct your attention to Juan Thornhill of Virginia. He's about the same size as Mr. Hooker, but a little bit, maybe not quite as thick. And some people think he bulked up too much for his pro day. He runs six foot tall, 204 pounds, but tested extremely well. He ran a 4.4240, had a 44-inch vertical leap, and a 141-inch broad jump. He kind of fits the profile of the kind of free safety or deep safety type that I really like in that he's a former cornerback who ultimately switched to safety, figuring that fit his skill set a little bit better. So what makes him a little bit of a sleeper? Well, Virginia didn't do a whole lot while he was there. He didn't have that super defined position, didn't play one position exclusively, and sometimes he's a little bit late and a little bit reckless. In fact, though people sometimes praise his overall football ball-hawking ability, some people say he can get a little bit out of position trying to make plays, maybe taking bad angles, maybe being a little bit slow to react. That might sound a little bit like a guy who recently left Green Bay, and for good reason. Lance Zerline of NFL.com says the best NFL comparison for Mr. Thornhill is... Haha, Clinton Dix. Don't know how I feel about that, but if he's athletic and he has deep, kind of middle of the field sort of experience, that might be a skill set worth checking out. At the very least, he seems like a pretty good overall athlete. He was a fantastically successful player in pretty much whatever he did in high school. 
A two-time state champ in football won just about every award you could imagine at the high school level, but also a career 1,000-point scorer in basketball and a three-time state championship winner there as well. The small school stuff gets interesting here because we've kind of got two guys to talk about. One of them we're bumping down to the wild card slot. In pure small school discussions, I think Stephen Denmark out of Valdosta State or Valdosta State is the one to watch. This is a pretty classic small school story here. A former wide receiver, and not just a small-time wide receiver either. He was the top target his first two years in college, switched to cornerback, and nobody can seem to agree on how big he is. The athletic list him lists him at six foot one, but on his school's official website, he's listed at six foot four in one season, then six foot three the next season. Elsewhere on the internet, you find him at six foot two. So he's tall, but he might either be really tall or only just kind of tall for a defensive back. The thing that is not in dispute is his athleticism. At his pro day, he ran a four four six in the forty, had a forty three inch vertical, and he seems like he's kind of got this defensive back thing pretty much figured out at least at the level he played at. Then again, it's a pretty small school. And is he a top-flight prospect? Eh, Probably not. Almost certainly not. Is he draftable, though? Maybe, even to probably, even if you can get him just on the third day. Is he worth a look? I think absolutely. Now take everything that we said about Denmark and kind of flip it on its head for Nasir Adderley, the wild card among defensive backs in this year's draft. This is a small school guy whose hype kind of exceeds the small school. You may in fact recognize his last name. He is a relative of a former Green Bay Packers great, a defensive back no less. And I'm talking, of course, about Willie Wood. No, just kidding. It's Herb Adderley. Of course it is. Nasir Adderley, a cousin of Herb Adderley, very successful defensive back, very productive at Delaware, But what makes him a wild card is that small school status. Unlike Denmark, he's not just an athletic marvel. He's been undeniably productive. Interceptions, passes, defense, tackles, he does it all. He does it very, very well. But how do you figure out a small school guy? How do you figure out if it's going to translate to the NFL? It does every year for players who play at these small schools and end up on NFL rosters, making big contributions in NFL games. We've talked about one in every episode that we've done. And it's going to happen this year as well. It might be at defensive back. It might be a defensive lineman. It might be on the offensive line. Who knows? But somebody's going to make the jump. But how do you know? A lot of scouts think he's really good. And he may be. But I don't know how he can be anything but a wild card when he wasn't playing against NFL competition on a weekly basis. Think about like the SEC or the Big Ten. If you're an NFL caliber player, think about how often you play against other NFL caliber players playing in one of those Power Five conferences. It's happening every week. Not everybody you play against is going to be that NFL caliber player. No, of course not. But you're running into him fairly often. 
How often did that happen for Nasir Adderley? Props to him, of course, for dominating his competition. That's exactly what you'd hope he would do. But what do you do with him in the NFL? I'm not sure. And I'm glad I don't have to make the call. Overall, I think defensive back, both corner and safety, is something the Packers have to address. They just don't have enough high-end bodies at either of those positions to feel super comfortable. And they've got to keep throwing resources at it until they get it figured out. I think you're probably looking at no earlier than pick 30 for either a corner or a safety this year. I would be surprised if anybody's in consideration at 12, both judging by the Packers' needs and what's in this draft class. But once you're to 30 and beyond at 44 and further down the list, I think all bets are off and the Packers will probably be looking to take one in the first two days of the draft. While I've got you here, let's talk about the article. You know the one. Tyler Dunn, formerly of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, drops this big piece in Bleacher Report about the demise of the Green Bay Packers, the last days of Mike McCarthy. The last days apparently reach back pretty far. In fact, if you ask Ty Dunn in this article, they reach back to the moment he was hired. That's when things went wrong with Aaron Rodgers. But I don't really want to talk about the contents of this article. I want to talk about how we should feel about it, how we think about it. And I would like to introduce you to the so what test. I may have talked about this before, but this was something really great that one of my professors did in college. Took a radio news writing class. My, my junior year of college. And in this class, we had to pitch stories. That's what you should do before you work on something. You should, you know, make sure your thinking is good, make sure it's a story worth pursuing. In this class, we had to pitch our ideas to the professor. And if he signed off on them, we would pursue them as though they were normal stories and insert them into a radio broadcast that we did, a radio news broadcast that we did once a week. We did a 30-minute news show about stuff that went on on campus once a week. He had this thing called the so what test. We would pitch the idea that we had for a story, and he would ask one question. If it was a bad idea, so what? Asking so what about a story helps you identify stuff that doesn't really matter. If you're reporting about something and you can't demonstrate to somebody why it's important, it's probably not something that anybody needs to know about anyway. Sometimes it's hard to identify the so what. Sometimes you really have to dig people, dig deep to show people why they should care. But those are the good stories. But the bad stories are ones that are really more headlines than actual stories. And I think that might be what we've got on our hands here. Think about the conclusions of this piece. There are four, really, I think. Maybe five. Maybe the overarching conclusion is the Packers should have done better than they have 2011 to present. Okay, that's true. But then you've got revelations such such as Mark Murphy was a little bit disconnected from what was going on in his organization. Ted Thompson's draft and develop strategy didn't necessarily work as well as it should have, and he probably should have done some other things. Mike McCarthy may have let the game pass him by, and Aaron Rodgers is hard to work with. What about those things did we not know before? 
I mean, it's not even six months ago that Sports Illustrated's Monday Morning Quarterback site did a big deep dive on a lot of this similar stuff. And for that matter, if they've got if they'd gotten to the Super Bowl in 2014 or in 2016, does anybody really care about any of this? We're playing the results really hard here. And related to that, it's not really a damning thing to not be liked by your coworkers. That's true for Aaron Rodgers. That's true for Mike McCarthy. That's true for Ted Thompson. Their job is to not make friends. Their job is to win football games. And the Packers won a lot of football games from 2010 when they won the Super Bowl to now. They've won a lot. Even these last couple years, they are not at the very bottom of the league. So what does knowing all this stuff do for us now? We didn't learn really anything new. We just learned some new details to add some color to what we knew already. And to that point, even if we were learning some wholly new things, some stuff that really redefined this era, what does it do for us? Mike McCarthy is gone. He's been fired. Ted Thompson is gone put out to pasture in early 2018. Mark Murphy is more active. Aaron Rodgers has a new coach to work with. Everything anyone could have wanted has happened. Dom Capers is even old news now. It may not have happened when people wanted it. It may not have happened as soon as it should have happened, but it happened. So, so what with this article? Does any of this change the outcome of the 2014 NFC Championship game? Does any of this make the Packers roster good enough to compete with the Atlanta Falcons in 2016? What if we gain from this? What does this news story, in heavy quotes, do for anyone? Other than just stir things up even more. Seems like all we're doing here is just rolling around in the muck. And Tyler Dunn is the one who led us there. But are we really just doomed to rehash the circumstances of the loss in Seattle again and again and again? I sure hope not. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to think about the Packers that way. I think that's just a waste of all of our time. So looking at this article, I just have to ask, so what? That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate it. Appreciate it if you take the time to download and listen to one of our episodes and listen in. If you liked what you've heard and you want to help us keep this going, we do appreciate your support. The best way to do that is to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. It helps more people find the show. But if you want to take your support to the next level, the best way to do that is donating a dollar per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar per month offsets our hosting costs for this show and for thepowersweep.com. And don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking our shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or you just want to say hi, reach out to us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook and on Twitter or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do appreciate anybody who takes the time to reach out. And if you do reach out, you are help furthering the mission of helping everyone become a smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.